Joined as always by Harrison Liao. We needed Yosef Nasser on this pod. Yeah. I'm really upset. Yosef is working right now. Uh, this is going to be about the Sixers Nets game. And what a thrill that was to watch. I mean, that was just seeing the bad blood between two teams. It just made me excited to watch basketball again. It brought back the feelings of the old rivalries. And when we say old, we don't mean like ancient. I think that this is like. What what was the last good rivalry you remember, Harry? Probably Cleveland Golden State. Right? Yeah, I was even gonna say Houston Golden State, like Ooh. that Chris Paul um, Harden against the Warriors thing. I like that one, but this had the feelings of those no, no series. Love for, no love for Atlanta, New York. Atlanta, that I mean, listen, if both uh, of those teams were consistently good, then and that's not a knock on the Knicks because they are good right now. By the way, Harry, that's a uh, knock on the Hawks. We're not doing this on this. This is not the pod for that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm getting off track. In terms of the Sixers and Nets game, to me, that was as blatant of a statement as you can make. The Brooklyn Nets went into their building and basically not only annihilated the Sixers, they punked them. They On national television, they absolutely punked them. And the Sixers, the thing that scares me, going forward is if these two teams were to meet in round one, it wouldn't take much for the crowd to get anxious and to boo. And that's what it like, if I was a Sixers fan, that would be the part where I'm most scared is we have now set a precedent that it's going to be hard to prove that we can actually do this now against this team. What were your thoughts about the game? Um, I mean, obviously Brooklyn won by a million. I thought, you know, dude, kudos. This is the first time where I, I could feel like a coaching diff from Nash and the rest of the staff. Like, they came in here with a really clear game plan. Guys, let's, like, push the ball, push the ball, push the ball. And uh, let's just see if Embiid can keep up. Let's see if Harden can keep up with the pace of the game. And they could not. I mean, Brooklyn was – you know, it's and it's easy to think, like, oh, well, like, you know, as soon as those guys, Katie, Kyrie, get in the flow of the offense, it's going to be easy. But, you know, it's a conscious decision because those are two of the best isolation scorers we've ever, ever seen, right? Those are two guys that are absolutely comfortable – pounding the ball top of the key for 15 seconds and then, you know, driving to the basket and just looking for, looking to create some magic. And they didn't do that. They, they made like a real effort to like get everybody involved out on the break and on defense. I thought, I mean, James Johnson, if nobody's paying attention to this dude because he's been on a million teams, but he's defending his ass off. It reminds me of like the role that the Lakers had uh, Kyle Kuzma in mm. when they won the bubble chip, big asterisk. But I thought Kuzma played great defense, taking on a lot of tough assignments, like, you know, the Jimmy Butler assignment, obviously, in the finals. But even before that, they kind of just designated him as like, hey, you get the toughest assignment every night, just be ready. And I think James Johnson is really stepping in that role. Seth Curry, obviously, is, like, amazing. Like, I think he's, he's proving that he's way more than a shooter. I was. Were you as surprised as I was that he, he seemed like he had some bad blood for the Sixers? I thought that they were going to be on good terms. Maybe he was just, you know, this is his new team now. That surprised me of how much it seemed like Curry was reveling in the moment of just sticking it to the Sixers. I thought it was just a little bit of competitiveness. Plus, he's yeah. got the younger brother syndrome. We all know that that drives yeah. great athletes of like, you know, and I feel like you can, that kind of 
kicks in when you're a guy where you're like, yeah, like, okay, you traded me. Like, I'll, I'll show you. I'm not an afterthought of like, oh, that's yeah. all we had to give up for Harden. Like, no, I'm a beast. And yeah, he was incredible. I mean, like, not just hitting up, not just hitting open threes. Like, we all know he can do that, but creating off the dribble, you know, mid range, you know, wherever, honestly. Like, I think, I think he's proven that he's a three level scorer. Joel Embiid had what I would consider for his standards to be an off night. Do you think that that was just him forcing it? Like you just said, do you think how much of that was an Andre Drummond thing? Because that was the other guy at Sixers gave up. Personally, I don't think Drummond can do this long-term against Embiid and succeed. I don't think anybody in the league can, but what did you think of the job that Drummond did on, on Embiid last night? I'm going to be honest. I, I thought it had nothing to do with Drummond. But no, no disrespect to Drummond. I thought he did a good job. Like, be, just be big, be physical, and get, try to get Embiid to force things. But at the end of the day, I think it was a lot of, like, uh, how do you say it? Like, unforced errors. Of, you know, I, thought, I think all year the secret of Joel's success has been, like, yeah, he's in great shape. He's in better shape than he's ever been. You know, he's got better touch on his, on his jumper now. But I think most of, like, to me, like, the biggest jump he's made this year is, like, mentally, like, He's more patient with possessions. He's more patient with the basketball. And then I think just the moment of the game was just like huge for him where he's like, he's just amped up. He's like, I'm going to show everybody that I am like, you know, modern Shaquille O'Neal. I can put my stamp on any game. It does not matter who you are. And he was just too antsy to come out and just, yeah, just, just get his DNA all over the game. And it was working. I mean, like he wasn't shooting the ball well, but he had like 15 free throws in like a quarter or something. You know, he, he was he was getting to the free throw line for sure. I want, we got to discuss the elephant in the room, the the James Harden situation because, I mean, three for 17, 11 points, and then you know after the game we can talk about this separately. But you know he was spotted at the club with a couple rappers. Um, a couple rappers? You mean like his his wifey, bro? Little baby? Like yeah, little baby was there. Who else was there? I, I didn't shoot. I didn't watch you. the video. I was too ashamed to open the video. You know, we can, we can discuss this now because this is going to be a hot topic. James Harden going to the club after the game. It's not because he went to the club. It's because of his reputation for doing these things. But, you know, obviously, I don't think that we agree that it's, you know, he should be shunned for life because he went and enjoyed himself after a loss. It's just, if this continues in the playoffs, it's going to be a huge distraction. And he has to realize that, right? We're just letting people know. We're not, we're not, we're not uh, shaming anybody. We're just letting you know now that this could go very, very bad. Yeah. I mean, you brought up something in the group chat that, like, <laughs> Harden, like, forget Ben Simmons. Ben, ben Simmons is a quiet, unassuming guy. Harden is, like, the lightning rod of all lightning rods. And now you're putting him with this Philly crowd that's, like, you know, easily the most disrespectful crowd in the NBA right now. And it's, I mean, this could go really, really bad, given Harden's track record in the playoffs, too. Like, you kind of got a taste of it last night. But, I mean, I don't give a fuck about the club. Like, everybody should know the NBA player's schedule. They're not waking up the next day until, like, 12 or 1 anyways. Who cares? Like, you know, unless you're Kobe waking up at 5. Nobody's Kobe, though. So, you know, yeah, go out, have some fun. You're off work. But what I thought was weird was, first of all, the Harden that we saw on the nets that you and I and Yosef have talked about at length of like not having any bursts to the rim. That guy was back. It seemed like he only had one, 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 um, one thing he could do, which is the step back, which is, you know, it's easy to guard when that's the only thing you're thinking about is the defender. And then second, I don't know what the hell the game plan was from, from uh, Rivers and the rest of the coaching staff. I don't understand why all the reasons for optimism that we had for the Sixers team 
you know, for those first three games when they looked incredible, it wasn't really about the statistics and the performance. It was the new style of play, right? Harden was pushing the ball, you know, every chance he could get. You know, Embiid was not only, like, um, just trying to create more havoc off the ball, but he was introducing new wrinkles to his game, like the short roll that we've seen so much from someone like Draymond Green. You know, I think someone like Joel Embiid has even more tools out of that. And, like, that, that two-man game, the short roll with Harden and Embiid looked incredible. Um, you know, dribble handoffs with Tyrese Maxey, uh, you know, kind of getting drag screens for Tobias where – you're like strong side on one side of the floor and Tobias gets to go to work on the other side of the floor. And I don't know, like it was really strange to not see any of that. It's almost like, it's almost like rivers coaching staff were like bought into the moment too of like, no, this is Joe Wells coming out party. You know, this is like, he's going to show everybody that he is the MVP and they just like force fed him the ball in the post. And I was like, guys, it's not, it's not 2008. What are we, I don't understand what's going on here. Now, I want us to be able to play a little bit of devil's advocate. So I want us to put ourselves, again, I wish Yosef was here right now. Yosef, if you haven't listened to us before, is a diehard Philadelphia 76ers fan. Um, he's usually a part of this duo. We make it a trio. If Yosef was here right now, Harry, what would Yosef be saying about the Harden River situation? Do you think that he would be – because honestly, we haven't really heard much from him yet because he's been busy – how how do you think a Sixers fan, you can take Yosef, for example, how do you think he would be reacting to this outcome? I mean, do you think he'd be sounding the alarm? I don't think so. I don't think he would be. I don't think so either. Because I think that, I think he saw enough out of those, those first, that first week or so, Harden, you know, uh, took an absence for his hamstring thing, which by the way, I'm like concerned about. Like you're talking about this guy having – you know, hamstring issues, you know, whether you want to say they're legit or not, but he has a history of sitting out for this exact medical reason since Houston. Yeah. And he's now 32. I think if there's anything Yosef would sound the alarm on, it'd be like the injury history or whatever. But uh, other than that, I mean, it, it was one game. I, I think that's probably what he would say. But, you know, take that for a grain of salt. We're not Yosef. And also, Yosef is not most Philly fans. Yosef is pretty smart about basketball. Like, you watch a lot of basketball. Most fucking Philadelphia Sixers fans are, you know, a tire fire. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know. They don't really, they don't really watch the rest of the NBA. They just kind of, just kind of follow the storylines, you know? The thing that I was, you know, least impressed with last night, besides the Harden thing, was the fact that, again, one game, we are going to overreact on this podcast, but that doesn't mean that we should overreact and think that this is going to be gospel for the rest of the season. Tyrese Maxey was getting a ton of praise, and rightfully so. He was balling out after the Harden trade, before the Harden trade, all season. And then we had a big moment, a big game, playoff-like atmosphere. And the craziest thing is not only did Tyrese Maxey disappear, nobody from the national media has said a peep about the fact that Tyrese Maxey had four points on two of seven shooting. And I didn't hear a word about it from anybody on Twitter. It's like, listen, we have to be objective. When the kid plays great, we're going to give him his, his praise. When he doesn't show up, we have to have some constructive criticism and say that this is, if this is the third guy of your big three, he cannot have four points in a crucial, again, this is not a crucial game. It's not a playoff game. But in a crucial environment, this cannot be who he is. What did you think of Maxi? 
Well, first of all, we don't have to be objective. That's how sports media works, right? <laughs> Nobody's objective. And also, look, I get it. There's only so much airtime, and we're always going to give the guy who's in his, you know, second or third year, who's having a great season, we're going to give him a little bit of a longer leash than someone like a James Harden, who we've had, we've had moments like, you know, burned into our, our brain, you know, Mono Ginobili blocking his shot to send him home in Houston, you know, crumbling against Golden State, you know, all the notions, you know what I mean? Like the, those things are easier, especially because he's an MVP as well for like the national media pick one. But as far as the Maxi performance, I just don't understand. I mean, you're right. He was extremely passive last night, but they were playing a different style than the style that suited him all year yeah. and a different style than the one that looked like uh, could work with him and Harden together, which again, you know, Tyrese Maxey is a downhill player. He needs to be in motion. He needs to be going fast, 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 everything fast. He's not, he's not, you know, you take someone else who's a speedy player too, like a John Morant. He, they, you know, it's two completely different styles. Just to illustrate an example where jaw is like surveying always. Whereas Tyrese is more like, I'm going to beat you there. And, and then I'm gonna have a bunch of counters there. If, if you manage to, to, to meet me there as well as my defender. And, um, you know, yeah, like they just didn't really, I'm not going to say it wasn't his fault at all, but as a team construct too, like you have to put him in the same positions to succeed that he's been put in, you know, the whole season. And like, it just wasn't, it just wasn't that style of game last night. So again, you know, I think like on the flip side, kudos to Brooklyn for having, you know, the defensive wherewithal to keep all that stuff in check. But I just thought Philly wasn't really looking for it, which was really strange. It was a bizarre it was a weird game from Philly. And I, I think like this, for me, I'm not a Philly fan. But I will sound the alarm because this game was much more of a red flag for me than the one uh, they played against Boston where they lost like 50 right before the All-Star break. Because to me, that was a game where it just looked much more like an off night, you know. Um, in this case, it was like, okay, you've, you, you guys theoretically have been preparing for this game for probably two weeks now. You know, especially with Harden now. I mean, for sure, he's been circling this on his calendar. And this is what you came up with. You know, like, it was just a really, to me, it was an alarming game for Philly. I think you waving a red flag is very, very fair. Um, we have waved plenty of red flags before in our lives, Harry, and we've ignored all of them. So <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But um, in terms of the Nets, right, Nick Claxton, I thought that, his role and the way he played last night was not only great, but it's kind of what I'm previewing and would expect that we're going to see from Ben Simmons kind of in that similar role of we're going to put you on a team's good wing player, maybe the best wing player. You're going to guard him. You're going to play defense. You're going to rebound. If you get the rebound, Ben Simmons's case, you can bring it up and push it. You have shooters all around you. Um, you can talk about Claxton if you want. I'm, I'm interested to hear about your thoughts about how Ben Simmons is going to fit into this team because it looks like he will have an important role to play for them. They're, they are, like, I feel like people are looking at last night's game and, you know, us included and being like, well, they don't need Ben Simmons to get to where they're going. I think they do. I think they do. I think there's going to come a point in time in the playoffs when, you know, guys like Nick Claxton – Bruce Brown, who's been playing amazing. Um, but those guys are tailor-made for a specific role that Ben Simmons actually thrives in and is just a better player than those guys, you know, in that same type of 
like vehicle. And so, you know, you only have, there's only five slots out there, right? At a time, you can only have five guys out there at a time and you need to maximize, uh, you need to squeeze all the juice out of every one of those slots that you can, especially in the playoffs, you know, every single one of those minutes is so important. So like you're going to need Ben Simmons because he's going to be better than a Claxton or a Bruce Brown for like at least three or four minutes, you know, a night, potentially that's, that's, that's what you traded him uh, for him for. Will he live up to that? Who knows? Because he couldn't even do, you know, the big problem with the Atlanta series wasn't that he couldn't shoot threes or, you know, shoot free. It was the problem that like, he wasn't doing the things that brought him to the dance, you know, like Ben Simmons, we can all talk about the dunker spot, which is an important spot on the floor. You actually need somebody who can play well from that spot, but it wasn't just that he's standing there. It's that he was standing there and not, you know, running in transition, not being a defensive menace, not, you know, bringing, you know, energy on both sides of the floor, getting his hands in passing lanes, you know, go ahead passes to guys in the break, like kickstarting, like, you know, transitions by himself. Like those are the things that Ben Simmons is elite at. He's really, really good at those things. And he just like didn't do any of those. And I don't know if that was a matter of coaching or him or probably a mixture of both mentally, but is he going to be able to remember who he is as a player in Brooklyn? It's not that easy. It's really not. Like once you've, this is what I give Kyrie so much credit for is that this guy can take, <laughs> I take 10 years off and he's just like, I'm still Kyrie. I'm still going to have 50 yeah. points in NBA game. It's unbelievable because for most guys, once you fall out of like, you know, you can call it a rhythm, you can call it your basketball identity, whatever. It's, it's actually really, really hard to rediscover that. Speaking of still Kyrie, we, we need to mention this. Um, I have another question I want to ask you, but Kyrie's defense on Harden last night was phenomenal. And we have to mention that on the pod before we move on. But I do want to get into the, the topic of the Nets' third best player going forward into the playoffs or let's rephrase that as who's their third most important guy is it right now into the playoffs let's assume Simmons is healthy would wow. it be Ben Simmons would it be somebody else because to me um I would lean Seth Curry because I think that his shooting maybe you know what can we divide this into either Seth Curry or Patty Mills getting hot from three is yeah. like the third most important thing for the Nets to me. Defensively, when they want to try, we saw it. Kyrie, when he wants to lock up, he can. They have defenders. Simmons, Claxton, Drummond is okay. Bruce Brown, James Johnson, as you mentioned earlier. They have those guys. To me, it would be the combo of either Curry or Mills hitting shots. What would you say is the Nets' third most important player or factor? I think I would agree with that. I mean, I... I it's going to be difficult matchup wise. Like let's say they match up against Milwaukee. That's going to be a hard series for Seth Curry or Patty Mills to play because, yeah. you know, you're looking at these big, strong, like guard and wing defenders. And on the other side of the ball, you know, you're not getting a lot accomplished either, you know, but guarding someone like a true holiday or a Chris Middleton or Pat Connaughton. I mean, these, these are, that's a big team. You know what I mean? So I think like overall, like, let's say Brooklyn um, makes it to the finals. I think most of the series that occur before they get there, you know, you're going to see Seth Curry and Patty Mills have a big impact. But you're also going to have, like, a series or two where they're going to get washed out. You know what I mean? Maybe even a, against a team like Miami. You know, like, it's, it's not – this is what we mean by regular season does not equate playoff 
basketball because the matchups are completely different. And the more and more you play um, uh, a team, you know, consecutively, like guys like Patty Mills and Seth Curry, it just gets easier to game plan for them. It gets easier yeah. to, to, to scheme up defenses around them, which is why I still kind of lean the answer should probably just be Ben Simmons. I mean, he, this is somebody who was an all NBA player, like <laughs> two years ago. Like it's not, we're not talking about somebody who's like 35 and yeah. has this entire career behind them. Like, no, this is a guy who is supposed to be a top level uh, talent and athlete right now. And say what you want about his skills or whatever, but in the playoffs, when you have a guy who's that talented and that athletic, you know, the ceiling is always going to be much higher for him than somebody like a Seth Curry or a Patty Mills. But obviously, you know, you have a, a much higher variance of return that you're going to get from someone like Ben Simmons, right? Like if you play out a hundred possibilities, who the hell knows like what, what kind of Ben Simmons you're going to get out of all those hundred. Whereas if you look at the Seth Curry slash Patty Mills combo, you know, probably like 80 out of a hundred of those possibilities, they're going to be pretty productive and it's going to fall within like a certain range, if that makes sense. Do you, I'm assuming with this result, you probably have, no concerns about the Nets getting out of the play-in tournament. Do you have any concerns about them? <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's one game. We know March Madness is upon us. Crazy things happen. Is it Are we possible? assuming they're healthy? Yes. You you think Kyrie Irving? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I'm just saying. Give me, give me the odds. Who who would they play? New York. Well, no. In round one of the play-in, they're they're probably going to meet the Raptors. And the thing oh, is, I mean, they're well coached. I, I, so I believe that Kyrie can now play in Canada. I don't know what the, the COVID rules are hard to follow. Yeah. I believe that they allowed for a guy like Kyrie Irving to play in Canada because before he wouldn't have been able to play. Now, I think he can. Um, but yeah, let's assume that they're fully healthy. Any concern there? I mean, you have to have a little concern. You're right. It's one game. The, uh, the Raptors have two all-stars on their team. You know, they have Pascal and, and Fred Mitchell. Championship experience. Championship experience. You know, they have long, switchy defenders, which I think, again, is a good recipe for shutting down, um, you know, all the uh, ancillary guys that we've developed on Brooklyn. You know, your Seth Curry, your Patty Mills, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, if Kyrie can't play, he's going to come out of Kevin Durant, which as we saw, you know, previously, Kevin Durant can have – like 60 points and still lose the game. Like he, the game that he played, everybody knows like his shoe size is too big against Milwaukee where they got knocked out. I mean, that's like the, one of the best basketball performances I've ever seen. Yeah. And they lost. So, you know, it's not impossible, you know, but I mean, you'd have to say they'd be heavy favorites even without, you know. And by the way, they would have to lose twice. So even if they lost the Raptors, They would yeah. then have to lose to probably Atlanta or Charlotte. And that, we just saw them play the Hornets the other night. They whooped their ass. Kyrie oh. had the <laughs> a true shooting percentage of 101%. I mean, broke it. that was – so to summarize the Nets' week, they went into Charlotte, and they basically said, if we meet you in the playing tournament, you might as well pack your bags for Cancun because you're going home. And then – they went into Philadelphia and did the same thing to the Sixers. Yeah. If we meet you in the first round, you might as well pack your bags. You're going home. Looking ahead, what, what team do you think would give the Nets the biggest problem in the playoffs? 
I don't know, but you know what I just realized? The the play-in thing, if if Brooklyn loses in the play-in, that would be, be so that would be so Brooklyn. Like and just then the, the La- way this is gone, like the Lakers make it out and the Nets are out. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be so perfect. I mean, because Brooklyn has just been this has just been such a what if team, you know. But um to answer to answer your question, who's the team in the Eastern Conference that poses the biggest yes. threat to them? Yes. I mean, I still think you have I mean, are they – okay, you're posing this question like they're now the favorites. No, I'm not – yeah, it does sound like that. I'm not saying that they are necessarily the favorites. There could be multiple teams that can beat them. I'm just asking who you think would give them specifically the biggest fits. Uh, I mean, it's a short list, right? You got Miami. You have, uh, you'd have uh, Milwaukee, obviously, who – I'm just still we – maybe we can hit on this later, but I'm still very confused about what's happening with Milwaukee's defense. Yeah been a whole season and you know every it was 20 games in and i understood like the whole oh wait until the big three gets healthy they've been healthy for most of the season now and they suck on defense what's going on like they have elite defenders i don't understand it um you have you know boston obviously who's you know hot everybody wants to talk about them now um and obviously you have philly you know that's that's your short list right what's your (laughs) come on dude are are you are we out like Caruso's coming back tomorrow, apparently. That's and Lonzo, Lonzo's not far away. I'm Are we playing, sleeping on the Bulls? I'm playing devil's advocate here. I mean, we, the team was amped up early in the season. Yeah, they were. If yeah, that yeah. version of them exists, I think that they have a chance to at least like make it out of round one. I don't know if that version exists anymore. I but, think it's hard to play Vucevic in the playoffs. And then you have Caruso, Lonzo coming off of injury. Yeah, it's going to be tough. But going back to your list, out of those, which one would you – you're right about the Bucks, by the way. Their defense has been missing. I don't know where it went. It's been missing. I don't get it. It's so that, weird. That, I, I would go Boston or Miami. That would be my answer. Yeah, I was going to say that would have been my pick, the Bucks, if I could trust their defense. Yeah. You know, we've seen this before with teams – it's late to flip a switch, but it's happened where teams can flip that switch. They have that defensive identity somewhere deep in the identity of the team. It's still there. I'm still going to say the Bucks just because I think that they can flip that defensive switch, but it's scary. The way that they've played is. We've seen, we've seen what the Bucks are capable of, but what I will also say is that I think this Brooklyn team at full strength is better than last year's Brooklyn team at full strength. And let's be honest, the only reason that Brooklyn team last year didn't come out of that series against Milwaukee is because Kyrie and James got hurt. Yeah. Like, I don't know if people remember how bad it was, but like the game before, I think after they went up 2-0, the game two, they won by like 40. Yeah. (laughs) Playoffs. It was not competitive at all. And Kevin Durant almost beat them by himself. And so, you know, sometimes these matchups dictate fights. And, you know, I just think that it might be a case where they just have their number. My case for, my case for Boston um, would be, I'm not necessarily like on this, is Boston the best team in the NBA train? I think they have a legit shot to win it all. Like, you know, probably a little bit more than a puncher's chance. But I, to, to me, what gives me hope against a team like Brooklyn is I think what Ime Udoka and the coaching staff have done defensively is brilliant. They've managed, they figured out a way to do what Utah should always have been doing with Rudy Gobert, which is try and keep him as the low man. Figure out a switching scheme 
where in this case, Robert Williams III is always the low man. You, you'll, you'll rarely, rarely be vulnerable in a position where he's out on the perimeter. And maybe that doesn't necessarily look the way it always does. Like we've seen Steph Curry toast Rudy out on the perimeter, but sometimes most of that damage happens off the ball where, okay, now as a defense, you're just missing your rim protector. He's 20 feet out from the basket. It doesn't matter if he's involved in the action or not. You've lost already as a defense, you've lost the possession. But what, what the Celtics have done and kudos to uh, Ben Taylor, I was watching a thinking basketball bit about how their defense has progressed this season. What's caused them to like fall to now number one um, statistically is that um, they, first of all, all their guys communicate brilliantly. I mean, you're talking about, we all know how to, everybody knows what a switch looks like, but they're doing double switches, triple switches where, you know, you're having to read two or three actions down where your rotation should be. And it's allowing Grant Williams to just literally just be the low man at all times. And he's an incredible weak side defender. And um, he's, he's actually stepped it up on the ball as well. And I just think like, okay, Boston can, that means Boston can take away the rim from pretty much anybody or at least hinder you at the rim. Against a team like Brooklyn, now you're asking them, you have to make jump shots to win the game. And I think that skews the, the, the variance of like how their offense looks in a half court setting a little too much towards what we've seen where it's like, okay, Kevin, all right, Kyrie, make 12 jump shots each to win this game. That's a lot to ask even of two like elite, elite shooters. I love where you went with that. The Celtics defensively, I mean, what a turnaround from the beginning of the season. In terms of offensively, the Nets making jump shots, yeah, you're right. Over a seven-game series, that's the way that you beat them. You force them to have to make 12 jump shots apiece, and you hope for the best. In terms of, let's go back to the other side of the, the, the ball for the Celtics, with Tatum offensively. You're putting so obviously he's playing like a top five, top ten player in the league right now. You're gonna put Ben Simmons on him. How do you think that matchup goes? How do you think Ben Simmons would fare against Tatum? It has to be a team effort. I mean, you can't when you get to the level of like a Tatum, a Luca, you know, a Kevin Durant, blah blah blah. You can go go down the list. You cannot guard that person one on one, even if it's someone like a Ben Simmons. Like, and I think especially the way Tatum is playing now with the rest of his team. You know, it's not just about the assist numbers. Everybody always wants to say, like, you know, move the ball, become a better playmaker, and he has. But, like, when you watch what's happening right now, it's about, like, the patience, the tempo that, that Tatum's playing with, the rhythm. Um, you, you know, he's not – he doesn't do the conservative thing anymore where catches the ball, top of the nail, top of the key or whatever, surveys, and then makes the pass if there's an open guy in the corner, especially if it's Grant Williams, it's like his favorite guy to pass to right now, the ball touches his hands, zips over there like he's Lonzo. You know what I mean? And so I just think that it's not going to be individual defender dependent. You know, I don't think Tatum is at that level, you know, his immaturity before he would have seen someone like a Ben Simmons and just thought, okay, I have to step up my individual scoring. Whereas now I think he would say, okay, like you want to put your, one of your most valuable defensive resources on me, then I'm going to find other ways to impact the game and I'm going to let my teammates shine. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, it has to be Tatum. It has to be him that carries them across the finish line. But I think he's smart enough to know, okay, where is that line to toe? Like we were talking about with Embiid forcing it earlier. Where is the line to toe where I am playing with force, but I'm not forcing it? You know what I mean? So 
Um, I don't know. It'd be a fascinating matchup, though. I would love to see that matchup if Ben Simmons is, is ready to go. That was going to be my final question for you in terms of fascinating matchups in general. In terms of at least the Eastern Conference side, I, for me, it's the whole thing, but at least the Eastern Conference side, is this the most excited that you think you have been going into the playoffs? This is going to be amazing. I am. Because I think finally we've come to a point where every team's not trying to be Golden State. You actually have a lot of teams trying to go bigger, trying to, you know, there's a lot of actually variable, like on court styles and personalities. Like you just look at Miami, they're just like, oh, all right, it's a track meet. You know what I mean? And we're just stronger and more conditioned than you and, yeah. and better coached than you. You look at, you know, Philly, where it's like, okay, star power. This is kind of like your classic, you know, one two punch kind of team. You know, you look at Brooklyn, it's like, you have, like, just absolutely the best display of skill in the NBA. You know, it's cool. Like, you have teams that are really representing different styles of basketball now, whereas I think even, like, two years ago, I was so bored. I was just like, okay, we're all just going to play the exact same thing. Like, that's stupid. So, yeah, as you answer your question, I'm very excited about this. It's, it's going to be a blast. Um, I actually just remembered that before we did this podcast today – I was having a conversation in the sauna with my good friend, uh, Timmy Colbert. And hey. Timmy, he, he actually posed a really good question. He, he mentioned, what would you think of, this wouldn't be my primary goal, but putting Joel Embiid on Kevin Durant in like a few minutes a game. Do you think that that is something that would intrigue you, that you would actually, I mean, we would love to see it because it I would, would be entertaining. Do you, you think, think that he has it the could foot work? Speed? That's what I was saying. But he covers so much ground yeah, with each huge. step. Like, I don't know. Now, the other thing is then Drummond would probably just just kill on the glass offensive yeah, rebound-wise. But maybe you can – what if you played DeAndre Jordan with Joel Embiid? I wow. mean – That's what they signed him for. I mean, just to have an extra big body, right? I think that's fascinating, but I think that – I think Brooklyn has an easy answer for it. I don't know how this would exactly work, but like they, they love strong siding half of the floor with shooters and then having Kevin, you know, Durant on the, uh, on the right side of the floor, top of the key. And he has clear lane to the rim, you know, and he's, he's excellent at driving and finishing at the rim, which I think not a lot of people give him credit for. He's got a really quick first step for his size. Yeah. So I, th I think he's just a little too quick off that first step for Embiid. But if he's if he's settling for jump shots, I mean, you'll take it, you know, yeah. as a as a as a uh, defensive coach. Might be the one guy in the league that could actually contest Durant and yeah, bother actually his bother his shot. Exactly, dude. How crazy is it when he like tossed Drummond to the floor? Ridiculous. Drummond is huge. Yeah, he's like that, six eleven, two eighty. That man is one of the strongest human beings we will ever see. I can't wait to see what he does in the playoffs. Do you have anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? No, dude, I am so excited. I mean, I can't wait. How many games do we have left? Like, like what, 15. 12, yeah, around yeah. there. I'm so excited, man. I can't wait. The Knicks I, can't, are I can't believe you're out on the Knicks. They play Memphis Grizzlies tonight, and they're in Memphis. They're I think what, they've won like three or four in a row. The problem is all my favorite guys are actually out. Like all the young guys, like Grimes out for the year. Reddish is out for the year. Julius Randle is playing like an all-NBA player. <laughs> he is an all-NBA player. He I know. should have been playing like this all year. I mean, uh, you know, the past is the past. stinky, stinky brand of basketball. It's so anti what I enjoy watching, but whatever. Do you, do you think that there's any chance 
at all that, I mean, they're what, like three, three and a half games out of the playoffs, of the play in. If they make it, they have like some sort of mini Cinderella run. Let's say they, let's say they make the 10 seed, they win that first game, so they beat whoever's in ninth, and then they end up facing Toronto. They lose to Toronto. Any chance that Tom Thibodeau is back next season as the Knicks head coach? I think it's up to him, dude. He's he checked out like halfway through the season. He's gonna, you know. See, wow. Who Let's else is see. out there on the market? I mean, I don't know who else Leon Rose would be comfortable giving the keys to. Stan Van Gundy. Oh God, it's the same person. Frank Vogel. Oh shit, that's so sad. Wait, last thing I want to say is, guys, I'm taking, I'm, I'm officially out on the Seahawks. They did a very dirty, dirty thing today releasing Bobby Wagner, not telling him. That's ridiculous. So I'm, I would just like to extend this invitation. Anybody listening to the pod, I am, I'm accepting recommendations for, for a new NFL team. Accepting recommendations? That just broke my heart. I thought you were going <laughs> to join. The thing is, we're joining whoever Mitch goes to. If Trubisky where, where do we think he's going? I'm down. Apparently he's going to the Giants. Now, we're going to stink, I think. But, you know, it's – it is what it is at this point. The Bears traded Khalil Mack, and they got rid of, um, you know what? I don't even, I can't keep track of the NFL. They got rid of Allen Robinson, Khalil Mack. It's a mess for us as well as you guys, obviously. Russell Wilson with you. I'm looking for a bad team, guys. I, I, I'm not a front runner. I want somebody that is close to like that Owen 16. Oh, wow. You know, Lions level. Like, oh, we're looking, my. trying to get in on the ground floor. I think th- then you should be a Bears fan. <laughs> this is what it oh, sounds God. like, or stay in <laughs> Seattle. In that in that case, stay in Seattle. <laughs> it sounds like both of our teams are going to be suffering for a, a minute. Um, True luck, baby. Yeah, I mean, yeah. On that note, I was going to say you guys should go get Mitch, but we we don't want Mitch to suffer anymore. Let's get him with Saquon and see what happens. Okay, Harry, thank you for joining me. As always, uh, it was a pleasure. Until next time, we are out of here. See you.